0: Ordinarily speaking, I used to be ashamed of me, a kid in care. Now I couldn't be proud of who I am and to get my story out there.
1: Hello and welcome to Ordinarily Speaking. This is one of the most inspiring stories I've ever had the privilege to share. Sabrina Duffy has overcome an enormous amount in life to become one of the country's best footy players. She's played two seasons of AFLW and made the All-Australian squad both times. Sab was an integral part of Fremantle's undefeated campaign in 2020. She booted 12 goals, the most across the comp. All this, and she's only just turned 20. It's incredible, especially for a young woman who has lived in foster care her entire life. For the first time, Sab has decided to share her story publicly. If this episode is a trigger for you, please remember there is help out there. Lifeline.org.au or kidshelpline.com.au are a couple of places you can go. I hope you enjoy the chat. Well, Sabrina, thanks so much for joining me. Um, I want to start by asking you, because you've, you've got a really challenging story, you've had a really you know challenging life, why do you want to tell your story today?
0: Yeah, I guess, um, thanks for having me. Um, I just want to get my story out there and show kids and people of the community that they're not alone um that people, footballs are human and we do have our own stories and our own up and downs and that's, I guess, what makes us unique and I guess if we can get the word out there and I guess it will give people the confidence to then tell their other stories which is um amazing and I guess, yeah, I just want to tell my story. What does footy mean to you? Footy's is everything. Footy um, footy's a safe space for me in particular, I guess, I have so much fun when I play footy and I feel um, happy and safe, which you don't, sometimes you don't feel that when you're um, a teen or a child coming up if you have a adversity that I had in my life, but I guess footy, I always had that, and it always was there, never, never left me. And I guess it gave me a, a safe space to express myself and how I felt. And luckily, I was good at it, so <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> pretty damn good at it. Um, you talk about adversity. We're going to step
1: through this, but let's start at the start. Tell me about earliest for you, being a baby, what your life was.
0: Yeah, so um, I guess I started noticing when I was about kindy, pre-primary, I I was a bit different. So I grew up uh, in a foster family. So I guess when I was at school and I would having... Mother's Day, for example, when we would write Mother's Day cards, I would always write um, Bethy, which is my foster mum's name. I love her to to bits. Um, And all the other kids would write mum. I didn't realise why I was a bit different and I still saw my mum and dad. Um, But I had two sets of parents, I guess. Um, I didn't really know why at the time. I just thought it was normal. Um, So I guess, yeah, that's when I probably first realised that I was a bit different and it took me a while to understand it, I guess. Yeah. So you were in foster care from pretty much day dot? Yeah, so since birth, um, I went to the lovely care of Bethy and Peter. Um, They mean the world to me. (laughs) Angels from heaven, Uh, as I say. I got them tattooed, their names tattooed on my arms. Um, But yeah, I went there since birth and my sisters also came with me, luckily, to the same house, yeah. Tell me about your biological parents. Yeah, um, I guess they didn't really see the value of being parents, I guess you could say. Um, it's hard to break addiction, I guess. Um, and, yeah, I guess that's what kind of stood in their way and they have those challenges that they face and I guess I knew I was destined for bigger and better things in the world and chose to put myself on the front foot and, yeah, really take hold of my own life and not be persuaded by the um people's decisions and yeah so I guess they're just negative people I don't really want in my life so yeah what what was your parents addiction uh drug addiction yeah so they were in and out of prison um for most of my childhood growing up which was interesting (laughs) (laughs) to say the least um but yeah so though yeah drug addiction and so I guess that's why I would never live with them um thankfully so I don't think I'd be in the position that I am in today so tell me about how this came about because you're
1: the youngest of three sisters. Yep. Um, so your older two sisters and then you came along.
0: Yeah, so um, we, my two sisters were in daycare. Um, so my foster sister, she worked at the daycare that my two little sisters, my big sisters were in. And one day my mum, biological mum, went to the daycare worker who was my foster sister and said – look, my kids are going to get taken away from me. Is there any chance you can have them? The girls really like you. Um, So my foster sister ran down home to my foster parents' house and said, there's two adorable girls at the daycare. Can we take them home? Because they need a home. And my foster parents, being the people that they are, they didn't even hesitate to say no. They always give back. So, yeah, they said yes and then... Thankfully, they took those my two sisters on, and then little did they know there was a third on the way. So, mm-hmm. out I popped and I popped straight in with them um, with my sisters, which was really a really blessing because most foster kids do get separated. So, yeah, I'm forever grateful for that. So, how old were your biological sisters at that time? Yeah, so uh, Chanel was six and Samantha was five. So, I mean three. So, yeah. So six and three. Yeah. And
1: your mum's pregnant with you at the time. And yep. your now foster sister recognises the urgency of the situation yeah. and and asks her parents, hey, can we take these two girls in? Yeah,
0: she was 16. So I think that's pretty significant of a 16-year-old. And and even for my foster parents having no no idea who these kids are to take them on like that with no hesitation and just, yeah, I'm there's no words to describe how thankful I am. Yeah. So you, as you get older,
1: when did you realise – your foster parents weren't your parents
0: I think I always had an like a idea that they weren't um it'd be quite embarrassing would be at the shops and the the checkout lady would say oh you look just like your mum and <laughs> she wasn't actually my mum but um yeah I guess I knew I guess it clicked more so when I was about oh, six or seven my friend when I'd go for play dates with my friends and they would have mum and dads that they would call mum and dad and look like them but I didn't so I guess that's when it probably hit home I guess and I was a bit ashamed of who I was at the time and didn't really tell my friends or invite them over because I didn't want them to know that I was a foster kid so yeah. How did that feel at the time? I was a bit confused I didn't really know um what was going on um but then I think the more I understood it and the more I accepted it and was okay with it I think the better it got um So my friends came around and they loved my foster parents. Everyone loves them. Um, So I think, yeah, the more I was okay with it and accepted it within myself and looked at it as a blessing rather than wishing I was normal, but there's actually no normal these days, um, is, yeah. So
1: when you're growing up at that young age, your foster parents still let you have a relationship with your biological parents. What was that relationship like?
0: Yeah, they um, always wanted me to be in contact with my parents. I think their ultimate goal was if they did ever get clean that we would go back to them. They didn't obviously want to give us up but they know what family means to people. Yeah, so it was a bit um, at the start mum was in and out when she felt like visiting Uh, and my dad was every Sunday so he without a doubt was at my foster home every Sunday um, in the afternoon. So we would always walk down to the park and get fish and chips and sometimes if he was feeling all right, he would kick the footy with me. Um, yeah, so it started off well when I was younger. Um, but I guess as I got older and I was allowed to watch TV and was watching um, Border Security and all that, I could see the, the drugs and all that on the TV. So, And then when I was visiting like mum, for example, in a unit and I saw the drugs on the table, I thought, this isn't right. So... And then when I was, yeah, so I just think that clicked to me and I thought I don't want to see mum like that and I don't want to end up seeing myself like that. So I made the conscious decision to cut contact because I really wanted to make my life better for itself and I knew that I had a knack for sport. I didn't know which sport at that age. I picked up everything. Um, But, yeah, so I guess when I was about 10 years old, I chose to cut contact with both of them. That must have been pretty tough. Yeah, it was scary, um, to say the least. Mum kind of gave up, Uh, but my dad was around, persistent for about three months, really didn't understand why I didn't want to see him anymore. Um, But my foster parents were supportive of me. They copped a fair bit of slack from it, but they were really supportive of me and my decisions and moving forward. Um, And they just told my, my biological dad how it was and, they're so sorry that she's chosen this. But um, at the end of the day, it all came down to down what I needed and what I wanted in my life. And I guess ultimately I needed to make a name for myself and luckily I have.
1: What was the moment like when you when you realised what the drugs were, what the paraphernalia was? What was that like for you as, as such a little kid?
0: Yeah, I think um, it, was, it was scary because I didn't obviously any kid that has their parents, they idolize and yeah, want to want to have a good life like that. So I guess it was scary. Um, but Then I just thought it's an addiction and that's it's un- it's sad really. It's so hard to break. Um, so I just had to accept it and kind of move on from it. Didn't yeah. So it did hurt me for a little bit, but they are who they are. They can't they can't change that as long as like c- I can accept it and that's okay. You said your dad kept trying. Was that a good thing, or how
1: did how did that play out?
0: Um, yeah, I, I think it it was a good thing because it it showed that he did care a little bit more than mum. I suppose he still sends birthday cards um, every year. Um, so yeah, I guess that did show that he did did care in the end. I don't know I know he still loves me and he would do anything to see me again, but I just for my own mental health it was i need it's what i needed to do and i'm glad that i realized at t- the age of 10 that i did that cuz i'm um, don't know where i'd be if i didn't do that it's a bloody big thing to go through as a 10 year old mm. yeah um people go through worse i guess um <laughs> do they like yeah. this is no i think they do i think you... i'm pretty lucky in the situation that i'm in to have the foster parents so I do them a whole entire world like i love them to pieces and to be able to live with my sisters, for example, most families don't get that. So and I love my sisters so much and would do anything for them. So I guess, yeah. You're incredibly
1: resilient.
0: I, I just, you always look at it as someone does have it worse. And it's, it's, it's people sometimes don't get into the foster care system. They're out there and living in their cars and stuff like that. So it's just a real blessing. And my foster parents are angels from heaven.
1: How does that impact A person from that point growing up?
0: I guess it shows me if, for example, if I'm ever to have a child, what that child needs um, and what they don't need. So I can't wait to be a mum. Like Mm -hmm. I really can't wait to – or even to be – I've done a bit of youth work. um, So I have my youth work um, certificate. So even just to give back and give kids that safe space and that role model because I knew I always had that safe space but I didn't necessarily have that role model. Um, so yeah, I just want to really be a role model for the younger kids and know that they're not alone. Was it scary? Oh yeah, of course it's scary. But, um, I always had my sport. So I think at, when I was 10, I was playing soccer at that time. So I always had my sport. I always had my next door neighbor. He was my best friend. So we always were outside playing whatever sport that we could.
1: So your dad now, when was the last time you spoke to him?
0: Oh, when I, when I was 10. Yeah. Nine years ago. And your mum? Three years ago, I think it was. Yeah, more recent. But I hadn't been since I was 10 until, yeah.
1: So what made you get back in touch with your mum?
0: So she was in prison Uh, and I got a phone call that she was getting deported. So I thought... So she's from New Zealand originally? Yeah. So I thought if I was in the same boat, I would want someone to be there for me. So I thought, I'm a forgiving person. I'd like to think I, I chose to forgive and I went to see if she was all right and just had someone to talk to um, and then I got a phone call a couple of months later that she'd actually been granted to stay here in Perth so that was a bit scary <laughs> so I thought this would be my last goodbye type thing but yeah she's now staying in here and well from what I've heard she's trying to get her life back on track but yeah I'm not 100% sure because I'm not in contact with her anymore.
1: So when she stayed was that Were you sort of... Had you prepared yourself for her to be out of your life?
0: Yeah. So I kind of had brought myself to be okay with it because I was a bit upset. Um, Always always really loved my mum uh, until I made that decision. So I think, yeah, I was prepping myself. um, So then when she was told she could stay, I think it was a bit... It was scary for me, but in a sense it was a relief as well because... You never know what could happen and if she she could never come back to the country, it's a bit sad. So, yeah, so I think she's doing well for herself now but I'm not entirely sure. What was she in prison for? Uh, Armed robbery, yeah. Did you have a conversation with her around that time? Well, I think anyone who knows an addict, they don't really tend to depending on what they've done they don't really want to come to terms with it, I guess because half the time they don't remember because they're under the influence so we talked about it a bit but she yeah didn't really have much of the right things to say so how did you feel walking out of that conversation yeah I was a bit angry um just want people to just really I was willing to forgive but she wasn't willing to own up to her actions so there's no – I don't lose sleep over it, I guess. I tried. I did my part that I could – I was kind of acting like the mum when I shouldn't have been. I'm, I'm the kid. So, yeah, I did my part and I guess I just hope the best for her and hope that she can turn her life around. I know you talk about it because you've
1: come to terms with a life that you've lived. You've, You've had, you know, you've had to deal with a lot. I'm listening to you and I know people are going to be listening to you it's such a lot. Like, do you appreciate how much you've been put through?
0: Yeah, I don't think I've been put through that that much. I think there's yeah, I think there is kids that do have it worse. I was so privileged to be put in the house that I was in. Um, my foster parents are my whole entire world. Like, they're at every they haven't missed a footy game and they've flown mm. to all my state trips. They've flown to all my away games. Yeah, they. I just can't be so like I'm so thankful and to have my sisters. I have. Their names tattooed on me as well. Just to be able to ha- grow up with them and have them in my corner was what most kids don't get. So I'm so grateful for that.
1: You're listening to Ordinarily Speaking with Sabrina Duffy. Tell me about how it impacted your, um, your mental health.
0: Yeah, there was some days. Um, I guess being um, as young as I was, I didn't really accept who I was and what was going on. Um, But as I got older and I come to terms with it, I could understand why I had a lot of anger. So quite an angry child growing up. Um, Nowadays I'm quite calm, (laughs) which is good. Um, Yeah, I I have quite bad anxiety, I guess, and fear, um, I guess, from some of my trauma from my childhood. But, yeah, I, I know I'm in a very safe environment and the Fremantle Football Club is so accommodating to that. Um, and have everything in place that I need. Is the fear of Im- aban- abandonment, is that? Yeah, yes and no. Uh, I know how loved I am by my family, um, but there is always that fear that some- something could happen or something could-, could turn and you could be left um, by, your- by yourself. But I always know that I have my-, my two sisters by my side if I do need them, which is good. Did you ever have those rebellious years, given <coughs> everything you went through? No, not really, just more anger. Fought with my sisters a lot, which I kind of regret doing now. Um, What was the worst you did? uh, Threw a metal coaster at my sister (laughs) and split her her cheek open. (laughs) I love that you laugh when you say that. Does she have a scar? I don't think so. She... uh, (laughs) They would always – they because they were always bigger than me. They were the big sisters. They would sit on top of me and fight on me and do everything that <laughs> sisters, sisters do. would do. Um, so I got I said, no, I was at that age. I was a bit bigger in my body. I thought, no, I'm going to stick up for myself here. <laughs> and then there was another time me and my sister got into a bit of a fight and she pushed me. So I said, no, I stood up. I said, I'm big now. I stood up. I punched her back and I've actually broken her broke her fingers so that was, that was I felt bad afterwards because <laughs> but at the time I was just fired up but now looking back on it I, back on it I probably shouldn't have done that <laughs> <laughs> do you did you and your sisters ever sit down and have hard conversations about everything um not until I think we've all gotten a bit older um there was things growing up that I didn't see that they saw Um, obviously they were in the care of my biological parents for the first early years of their life so some things that I didn't quite understand and they've probably had it a lot worse than I have Um, what sort of things obviously just being in the care of people who are addicts I guess they weren't probably the first priority of my parents Um, which is sad but credit to them they are amazing young women now and my sister actually just had a baby so mm-hmm. it's pretty exciting I love being an auntie um so yeah they're, they're amazing in this, the strength that they have really I did really look up to them yeah when
1: you reflect on it
0: now what was the hardest thing for you probably accepting that I wasn't normal as such um who my parents weren't accepting that I was a foster kid and I didn't necessarily call my foster parents mum and dad I think that was a really big thing for me to accept um because obviously you have all your friends at school that talk about their mum and dad and I was a bit embarrassed so I think when I did kind of accept that is when things did turn and I said look I'm quite advantaged here I've got four sets of pa- I've got four parents <laughs> um but no and I think if I wasn't in foster care who knows what could have happened? <laughs> who knows where I could have been? So I am very grateful for how things did pan out. Your foster parents, they, you
1: smile when <laughs> I bring them up, um, they were going through their own
0: stuff yep. when you came along. Tell me about that. Yeah, so they had a son, um, Alexander, who passed away a um, couple months, I think, before I was even born. Um and then to obviously, to be then asked to take on these kids is a huge ask um and they didn't even hesitate, which is really shows who their characters are and If I could grow up to be half the person that they those two people are i would i uh, I would just be over the moon and i just I think they've taught me to appreciate the little things in life and to always give back so my mum she's even on the school board and uh, We haven't been to that school in five years she hasn't (laughs) had a kid enrolled in there in five years and she's still on the school board um she's always helping out at the local church so she goes to church every sunday um so she always shows us to give back and her foster her daughter uh, monica who was the um, daycare worker for my sisters she actually fosters her own kids now in alice springs so she fosters she had three little indigenous boys um, and now she has two indigenous boys and an indigenous girl, a teenage girl that she's just taken on. So, very good people, they are. Pretty, yeah. Pretty special. Pretty special people. And, um, I think sometimes I, t- I do take it for granted, being a moody teenager that I am. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, no, yeah. Um, definitely have been taught some really valuable life lessons. Do you know what happened to their son? Not really, because I, I, I wasn't born. Yeah. Um, I just know that when I came there, I felt nothing but love. Um, so my middle name is actually um, Alexandra. It's named after him. So he's Alexander. I'm Alexandra. Um, so that my biological mum did something right there and uh, gave me that middle name to honour their son, which was pretty amazing. So your biological mum made that decision. Yep.
1: Yep. So that was uh, pretty powerful, I think. It's a pretty selfless thing that that they've
0: done. It's pretty special. Yeah. Uh, I, yeah, I I don't know what I would do without them. I'd be a wreck. But they are just like my rock and I think my two sisters can vouch for that as well. Um, we would be lost without them. So, yeah, they have really given us a different outlook on life and they really did give us that second chance, I guess. Tell me about the day you were drafted. Yeah, so I had um, everyone at the house, so my foster parents, my sisters foster sisters, uh, kids, everyone was at the house and um, there was a couple TV crews set up and when I heard my name called out, I just cried into my foster parents' arms. I think that they got that on film, which was pretty special and they they were over the moon and if it really wasn't for them, I would not be drafted for sure, so... I think it was pretty special to be able to share that moment with them all in the house. And you were a Freo fan for life, weren't you? Yeah, I was born and bred Fremantle. Um, so we were Fremantle members. I can even remember the seat number in the row <laughs> at Subie Oval. So it was um, block 131, row C, seats 10 to 15. So that's where I'd sit, me and my foster dad would sit on the end next to each other and, yeah, we'd be there every, every second week, we'd be there. What did he say to you the day you got drafted? I think he nearly cried more than I did. <laughs> you know, he's a big softy. Um, he's always at my games. Even when I played uh, for Peel, he was always there every week with his Peel hat on, <laughs> um, getting amongst it all. So I think he he was really happy for me. Um, he always could see it. Even when there was days where I'd come home from training, I'd be so exhausted and think that I couldn't do it anymore. He would be the one there that would really push me to do it. So. He is my my biggest fan, I'd say. Um, I am his profile picture and cover photo on Facebook. <laughs> so yeah, I think um, he's really proud of me, which is which I've always wanted them to be proud of me for. Do I detect a little bit of emotion there? I no, think? I'm, I'm good. I'm good. No. <laughs> he, uh, I don't really. I'm not too nice to him. I probably need to be more nice to him.
1: <laughs> what do you do to him?
0: Oh, he just wants to talk. footy 24 four seven. He was asking how my teammates are, and he asked how I'm going. <laughs> he just wants to know all the goss. No, they're, they're gems. They, um, they love it, and they're so happy that I'm here at Fremantle. And Yeah, they're, they're really grateful for the support that the club has behind me.
1: Yeah. Did you your biological parents try and get in touch with you when you got drafted?
0: Not as such, I don't think. My dad made comments that he saw me on the news to one of my sisters. Um, I think my mum... Tried to message me on Facebook, I'm not sure. I just deleted it. Not really, thankfully. Do you hope one day to reconcile
1: with them or is it just something that you've you've just moved on and that cord has been cut?
0: I think I'm pretty content where I'm at at the moment. Um, I've done this on my own type thing. I've done it with my foster parents in my corner and my sisters. So I think I'm pretty content where I'm at at the moment. Um, if things change in the future or if I feel the need to, then... By all means, I will, but I feel at the moment I'm pretty happy with where I'm at. And your, you spoke about your anxiety earlier.
1: How did that uh, impact you last year? Because was there at a point where you were thinking about walking away from footy?
0: Yeah, so people don't really know. I'm quite an anxious person. So when I get all these social media followers and stuff like that, it, it does it's quite confronting um so it did there was a stage where i thought that it was getting too much but the dockers are honestly they have supported me so much through this process and i can't thank them enough like I, there's no other club that i would rather be at so i think that's what got me through that and my parents yeah tell me about the moment that you thought I'm. Um, i want to give it up i think i was just having one of those days that <laughs> you go through sometimes um and then, yeah, and then I had some really good support from the AFL PA, um, and so she's been she's been really well, and um, Springer, so he's a boxing coach down at the club, so he, I went and saw him three times a week at his gym, and he was just, would go out and get smoothies and stuff, he was just a really good mentor for me, and someone away from the club, I guess, so he would still be at the club during the season, but in the off-season he was just really there for me, and then obviously my partner, having someone to come home to, I when I needed it, and was, which was good. So when you got back to the footy club this year, did it feel different? Yeah, it did because I felt like I belonged. I felt like people understood who I were and where I, where I came from. And the group that we have now is such an awesome group of girls. I think every, everybody is on the same page and everybody is so understanding and everyone actually does have their own story. And I think it's good to have people who are different in the group because honestly we have so much fun <laughs> and it's just a group that everyone wants to be a part of so did you stand up in front of the
1: group and share your story
0: i have yeah at the start of the year I just um i was partnered with ebony antonio so we ac- they actually changed the drill up on us so we we're actually meant to stand up tell our story but we had to tell our story to a teammate who they paired us with and then the teammate told our story for us um so she told my st- Parts of my story, um, which was cool, and then I told parts of her story, so that was um, eye opening, to say the least. Yeah. And are you still? You you started
1: seeing a psychologist to try and deal with the anxiety. Are you you still doing that? And are you finding it helpful?
0: Yeah, it's awesome. Um, probably when I was younger, I didn't really want to speak to anyone about. It. I probably wasn't owning up to it as such. But now it's, she's awesome. Yeah, I see her. It was once a fortnight now it's gone out to once a month but yeah the club have been really supportive with that um and the aflpa getting that involved so i would recommend it and you're not alone so many people do it so yeah what do you find most helpful out of it um someone just to talk to (laughs) and they understand and even if you go in there and talk about what you think is the most pointless thing they they listen like the other day i was having getting in my head about my magnet my name on the board was the last magnet on the board and I thought, oh, I'm the worst player. So then my psych tells me, "You're all in your head, you don't need to think like that. So I think just little things like that, they really help with um, that everyone obviously goes through from time to time.
1: And is that what you've been through? I'm imagining it would impact your self-worth um, because of, you know, what like you say, the traditional sort of family mm-hmm. side of things and then what you went through. It gives you a different narrative to what you perhaps thought a kid would have.
0: Yeah. So I've always been a lot harder on myself than I probably should have been. Um, nowadays that I've accepted who I am, I think I'm proud. <laughs> and I want to get my story out there, so I am proud of who I am, yeah. I think you should be damn proud. <laughs> yeah. yeah, no, I wouldn't be half the person I am though if it wasn't for my foster parents, yeah. How
1: does it impact your life now, What everything you've been through?
0: I think it just shows me um, and other kids that are in my position that you can do it. Um, you don't have to fall to that stereotype of, oh, they're in the system, they're, they they can't make it. You can make it and you're not alone. And I think if I'd had that mentor growing up, who knows how different it would be. Um, so I guess I just want to be a voice for the younger people coming up in in the care system uh, that it is doable and if you just find that passion at something that you're good at, even if you don't want to be a professional at it, so be it. As long as you have that safe space, I think that's a really powerful thing to have. Well,
1: this podcast is about celebrating resilience and I think you're an absolute picture of resilience. And like I said earlier, I'm kind of amazed the way that you just rattle through <laughs> what you're talking <laughs> I about. I talk all day. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I just I can't imagine any part of that. So mm. I, I find it amazing and I think you're going to absolutely help a lot of people. Um, So thank you for for being so honest. Yeah,
0: no, I think um, just to show people that they're not alone is a really powerful thing and this is a safe space and the AFL is an amazing place to be, I guess, as a player because you have so much support around you and then if I can – Give that support to even one person, know that I've made a difference is really what drives me to be the person who I that I am and that continue to play football and be that role model. Thank you. No, oh, thank you. <laughs>
1: Thanks again for listening to this episode of Ordinarily Speaking. And once again, thanks so much to Sabrina Duffy for being so open and honest. I know she's going to help a lot of kids out there. If you enjoyed this episode, you may also want to check out episode one with Collingwood star Adam Trelaw. Don't forget to follow us on Instagram at ordinarily speaking and hit subscribe and tell your mates. A new episode will drop on Wednesday.